0: Phase one trial. Operation Warp Speed is This is not about freedom.
1: It's gonna be a fun show tonight. Well, maybe fun, maybe hard to listen to, but I I think I think some of some of it is important information. And the rest of it is stuff, well, we need to remember. This is our COVID rewind special. And it's time for us to remember, because here's what's happening now. We live in a day and age of social media of, and 8 million news sources. Everything's at the touch of a button. And there's a new huge story or scandal every single day. And what it does is it causes us to forget news that was yesterday, last week, last month. We, just, we forget about things. And right now... There's all this COVID insanity going on in America, and people are horrified by it. What a vaccine mandates from the president? They're already openly talking about you, you're going to have to have a vaccine to travel by air. People have floated the idea of stopping people at the state borders and checking your paper. I mean, it's crazy, right? Crazy, all these mandates, and it's, it's nuts. And the financial aspect of it. People are looking at inflation and gas prices and food prices and "Ah, everything's terrible. Okay, I agree. It's not ideal right now, but I do think we have to rise above being slaves to the current news cycle and we have to be adults. Yeah, everything right now is bad. Looks like it's going to continue to get worse for a little while. But how did we get here? How did we get here? We didn't just wake up uh, on today and just, uh, up up terrible today. No, 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 no. There was a process to getting here that started with coronavirus, it started early, and it started with bad decision-making early. And so what we're going to do, because we're adults, we have to be the adults, right? We can't bank on the communists being adults. Because we're adults, we're going to take a sober look back on coronavirus from the beginning hit a few high points. We got some great guests. Who said what? Who did what? Where did we go wrong? And we're not doing this so we can point fingers. It's his fault. It's her fault. We're not doing that. There'll be some finger pointing, of course. We're doing this so when the next crisis hits our shores, and I promise there will be another one because there's always another one. That's life. When the next crisis hits our shores, we can do a heck of a lot better than we did this time because, man, did we screw this entire thing up. So let's rewind just a little bit. 2020. January. I bet you didn't remember it was January. January 7th of 2020. That's last year. China confirms it had a novel coronavirus, initially named 2019 ncov Now, hold on one second on this. I remember that. And I remember... Obviously, wrongly, completely dismissing it. Because it's, it's not uncommon at all to have China do that kind of thing. This is an area where diseases, new diseases, strange diseases have always broken out. I mean, China was hard on Genghis Khan's army just because of this kind of thing. So, okay, a new disease pops up. All right. January 17th, 2020. United States implements health screening at New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. So that's only 10 days later, our people started to get word, okay, this thing is transmissible, might be a problem, probably something we don't want here. January 21st, that's just two weeks after uh, China confirmed it, CDC confirms the first U.S. coronavirus case in Washington State. Okay, so that was a moment in time. There was a new disease from China. Looks like it could be deadly. All right, we're going to try to get some health screenings, maybe keep it out of here. Boom, it gets here. First case here. All right, moving on. January 23rd, 2020. See, remember how fast this happened, right? Just remember, just January 7th, China confirmed it. January 23rd, partial lockdown in Wuhan, China. WHO, that's the World Health Organization, says coronavirus does not yet constitute an international public health concern. And I do want <clears throat> to I do want to focus on one little bit here of this January 3rd part, January 23rd part, partial lockdown in China. Just a quick heads up for you, all these lockdowns, all this insanity, that's what China did. That's communist China's solution. Moving on. January 30th, World Health Organization declares a global health emergency. January 20, uh, January 31st, President Trump announces it will deny U.S. entry to foreign nationals who've traveled in China for the last 14 days. Just want to point something out here really quickly. That was the right move by Trump, the no-brainer right move. It's something every country does. When there's a deadly disease, you restrict access to people who are from the place. You know, it's normal. And Donald Trump was called a racist for this by the entirety of the American media, Joe Biden himself, Nancy Pelosi, and the rest of them. How broken is our political system? We can't even protect the country from disease without racism accusations. people are so stupid. February 3rd. Again, this thing's moving fast. It was just January 7th. China confirmed they had it. February 3rd, U.S. declares a public health emergency. February 6th, the first COVID death in the U.S. happened. February 11th, WHO names coronavirus COVID-19. February 26th, President Trump puts Vice President Mike Pence in charge of the response. And Mike Pence stepped up, had this to say.
2: Mr. President, um, uh, uh, as uh, as we've been briefed, while the threat to the American public remains low of a spread of the coronavirus. Uh, you have uh, directed this team to take all steps necessary to continue to ensure the health and well-being of the American people. Uh, and the people of this country can be confident that under your leadership uh, we will continue to bring the full resources of the federal government in coordination with our state and local partners to see to the health and well-being and to the effective response to the coronavirus here in the United States of America.
1: Okay, so just let's recap the recap here. China announces they have a virus. We get word, start to get a couple cases here. Donald Trump announces a ban, called a racist for it, puts Mike Pence in charge. So far, so far, up to this point. That was February 26th of 2020. So far, we're fine. All good. Taking some precautions. Looks like we want to get out ahead of it. And then March 16th happened. And I I want you to understand something. I'm about to play you a little video clip. And you're going to hurt a little bit when you watch it. But I want you to think about where we are now. The inflation, the unemployment, the mandates, the madness, people losing their job, the military purge. I want you to think about where we are now everything bad that's happening right now I want you to think about it and now I want you to watch this little video from March 16, 2020
0: and This afternoon we're announcing new guidelines for every American to follow over the next 15 days as we combat the virus each and every one of us has a critical role to play in stopping the spread and transmission of the virus we've made the decision to further toughen the guidelines and blunt the infection now. We'd much rather be ahead of the curve than behind it, and that's what we are. Therefore, my administration is recommending that all Americans, including the young and healthy, work to engage in schooling from home when possible, avoid gathering in groups of more than 10 people, avoid discretionary travel, and avoid eating and drinking at bars, restaurants, and public food courts. If everyone makes this, change or these critical changes and sacrifices now we will rally together as one nation and we will defeat the virus
1: March 18th 2020 Trump signs the coronavirus relief package the relief package I just want to again point out you mad about those prices you mad about inflation are are you mad about it just want to point out, we stopped an economy and then started printing money and throwing it at it. March 19th, California announces the first wide stay-at-home order. Japan postpones the Olympics. March 27th, and these are really coming fast, aren't they now? Donald Trump signs a stimulus package into law, the CARE Act. Again, just want to point out all that inflation and stuff, okay. Anyway, April 2nd, 6.6 million U.S. workers file for unemployment. April 3rd, Trump administration recommends all Americans wear face coverings. And then the uh, famed Dr. Fauci, who can forget the things he was saying?
3: Dr. Fauci, you are now saying that you don't understand why all Americans are not staying at home. Have you told the president that you think it's a good idea to order Americans to stay home?
0: Well, there's always that difficulty of ordering centrally versus having the states be the major uh, implementers of policy. I have said that I feel we should be implementing this social distancing or physical separation, which in many respects means staying at home to the extent possible. And I do think we should do it broadly throughout the country. So when we extended the guidelines from the 15-day guidelines to now 30 days towards the end of April, I think this is an opportunity for everyone, every state, every region, every locale, to participate in this very serious physical separation as delineated very clearly in the guidelines.
1: Well, that's how it started. Here's Jen Psaki with how it's going.
3: Perhaps the federal government should step in and issue mandates. That's not the role of the federal government.
1: Hmm. That's not the role of the federal government. It's weird, because here's Joe Biden, like, 30 seconds later.
0: I will sign an executive order that will now require all executive branch federal employees to be vaccinated. All. All. And I've signed another executive order that will require federal contractors to do the same. If you want to work with the federal government and do business with us, get vaccinated. If you want to do business with the federal government, vaccinate your workforce. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated.
1: Stay home. 15 days. We'll come together. Defeat the virus. That's how it started. You enjoying how it's going? Next time a crisis hits, maybe we Safeguard our liberty just a little bit more than we did last time. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We got a great show for you tonight. Hang on. Joining me now, obviously the man who doesn't even need an introduction anymore, the great Jack Vasovic, maybe the best wealth of information I know. Jack, uh, we're rewinded the pandemic on tonight's special, and, and figuring out the origins of how we screwed it up and the origins of the whole thing, I think people forget this thing started in China, and that's amazing to say, but I do think a lot of people forget that fact. Well, it really
2: is amazing. You know, you hear the president come out and say, it's your fault if you're not vaccinated, right? It's the fault of being vaccinated. We have to target them. We have to treat them like they're the new underclass. But actually, this isn't a pandemic of the unvaccinated, it's a pandemic that started from COVID-19, which emanated from Wuhan, China. Then the CCP government lied about it. Chairman Xi Jinping specifically lied about it to the WHO, refused to share information about the original genome of this thing. And then thirdly, and probably most importantly, we then find that they were doing experiments at that Wuhan lab that were rubber stamped by Fauci and his specific agency, the NIAID, that were conducting studies into humanized mice and chimeric spike protein enabled um, pathogens, which they, to use their own phrase, pathogen enhancement that were being done in order to see if they could make coronaviruses that were more susceptible, more, uh, more pandemic capable in humans.
1: Jack, uh, uh, every time I hear about this gain of function stuff, it really, really creeps me out because I can't wrap my mind around exactly why this happens. Would you please explain what is the justification for purposely making a virus worse and deadly for humans?
2: So when you talk to them, and I've gone back and looked at Fauci's statements about this, and he had this guy, Peter Daszak, who ran a cutout organization called EcoHealth Alliance. It's this, this wonderful sounding name, but it really does. It just moves money around in a shell game so that NIH can say, well, we didn't approve it. These guys, you know, but what they say is, is that gain of function is done so that in case there is what they call a spillover incident, of one of the coronaviruses, right? So if something comes out of one of those caves, infects the villagers, the villagers catch it, they go big, that supposedly they'll have some plan on the shelf. It's kind of like, you know, the military does O plans for Iran or China or North Korea. If that thing kicks off, you have a plan on the shelf that you're ready to put into place. So the idea with behind Fauci and everybody else is that, oh, well, we're going to do the gain of function. So we'll have its plan to actually defeat this thing if something like that happens of course, that isn't what happened. Um, they were chasing their tail constantly. They were making up as they went along. They had no idea what they were doing, and it doesn't seem
1: like they had much of a plan at all. Jack, why are we working with China, though, to help create viruses? I, th- that part has really floored me from the very beginning. Hold on, hold on. We are working with, the, with Wuhan to do this? How long has this partnership been going on? Why is this happening? Right, So this
2: Wuhan partnership goes all the way back, you know, to two thousand nine, two thousand eight. This is right after the SARS pandemic of um, uh, two thousand one, two thousand and two happened. So this lab was set up a biosafety level four lab right there in Wuhan, which was close to the epicenter of the original uh, SARS outbreak. And you can even go back into the WikiLeaks emails that came out. Hillary Clinton had them. And she was even asking questions back then of, Hey, isn't a biosafety level four? Isn't that like where we do the bioweapons kind of programs? Like, why are we working with these things? You know, the French supposedly were involved in this. Um, Can somebody ask the French if they've, you know, asked, hey, we're making sure they're not doing anything
1: they shouldn't be doing in that lab. Right. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I've always wondered this, too who should be making sure who is in charge who's the oversight it's not as if you can take roll call on the virus particles that leave the lab okay so who's who's watching the scientists who's watching these doctors who is in charge over there jesse no one
2: no one's in charge of this thing right the is in charge we claim that we've only approved certain things but here's the thing once we approve this funding and once that goes over, once our experimentation and once our research goes to China, right, it's it's just like everything else in China. They can back engineer everything they've done, everything that we've done, and then use it for their own purposes. This is, they're like, you know, I say this as a former Navy guy, but you know, there's a reason that their underwater unmanned submersibles look exactly like ours and that their, gener- their fifth generation fighters look exactly like ours. So it shouldn't surprise us all of a sudden when they start putting out pathogens that seem eerily similar to the pathogen enhanced versions that we saw coming
1: out of U.S. labs. Jack, all right. Nobody has been held accountable in China. Obviously, I don't expect anybody to ever be held accountable in China. But has China suffered from this thing at all? Have they suffered any consequences? I mean, as far as taking over us on the world stage, it looks to be working out just fine.
2: Well, it really is. You know, the one thing that you could say, if anything, is that it actually did kind of screw up their supply chains a lot. And you are now starting to see the Chinese debt bubble come to a head to the point where Blackstone is actually pulling out of some of the projects they're dealing with in China. Uh, Evergrand, this huge Chinese over um, uh, leveraged firm, over-leveraged firm, is now actually being downgraded across the world. So the investors community is actually starting to look at this and say, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't have been so much in bed with the CCP doing all this debt trap financing with them because they were taking us to the cleaners. This is hitting them, but at the same time, it's hit the United States and the West 10 times
1: worse. Jack, who is Dr. Fauci? Is is he just some lifelong bureaucrat who maybe had a couple screw-ups here? Is he some deep cover CCP agent? I would imagine the answer to that question is somewhere in very, very, very in between. Who is this guy? Because he certainly is the face of a lot of destruction.
2: Look, I mean, this guy is the quintessential bureaucrat, right? When you see Dr. Fauci, he is the system, and I write about this at humanevents.com. I talk about the axis of the elites, the 1% in the United States, the CCP uh, in China, right? You have this idea of pure authoritarianism, where if you are part of the system, there are no breaks. There is nothing. That is holding you back. There is no oversight. There is no one actually watching what is going on when it comes to these gain-of-function research, or when it comes to any of the stuff that's being funded, the stuff that Fauci was pushing. Sometimes, when you know, I actually kind of think that he doesn't even know what it was that they were funding over there, what they were doing, because he didn't care. He didn't think of what any of the implications were. He just knew that he had the power to do it, and he wanted to do it, so he did.
1: Mike Pence, uh, I mean, Trump handed the keys to this thing to Pence pretty quick, who turned and handed them to Fauci pretty quick. What's the connection there? Is, it, is there a connection there? Am I looking for something nefarious when something nefarious doesn't exist? Well, you know, that is
2: kind of an interesting question though, right? Why was it when Pence was supposed to be sort of the head of the coronavirus task force that suddenly he seems kind of asleep at the wheel and then it was pretty quick that those task force briefings suddenly lost the vice president at them? And you know, it's kind of similar to when you see Kamala Harris. Um, not standing up with Joe Biden when she doesn't want to be, you know, held responsible for something. You're not going to pin that crap on me, right? You know, is the sort of the, you know, phrase maybe apocryphal that comes out with Kamala. It does seem very eerily similar to how Mike Pence played this sort of disappearing act when it came to coronavirus, where on those daily briefings, those daily scheduled briefings that were held, all of a sudden, he's not found and suddenly it's all blamed on
1: Trump jack do you think the american public is all about the current madness we're going with now as far as mandates and stuff go i i I understand i'm far to the right of the public i don't think the public is out there calling for an end to mandates calling for an end to lockdowns i mean i understand you are i am but i don't think that's the general consensus am i wrong
2: well you know it's interesting when you look at the polling at some of this and I've, i've looked at the people's pundit um richard barris and some of the work that he's done is that There's generally, you know, some kind of idea where people say, look, I just want this to be over. What do I need to do? Let me let me get this over. But when you really start drilling down and ask questions, hey, should somebody be fired because they don't want to get this vaccine? Should people be kicked out of the military? Should Navy SEALs be pulled off missions? Should Air Force pilots be pulled down? Should we be losing all of these capabilities, our submarine force? Right. Then you start seeing people say, well, no, that doesn't make sense. Well, why would we do that? Why would we even talk about those things? You know, I actually was. um I finished mass yesterday here in uh, here in D.C., and afterwards I had active duty people come up to me and say, hey, we've been trying to get the religious exemptions, but the chaplains are listening to the chain of command. They're trying to talk us out of getting the religious exemptions rather than help. They're supposed to be the first chain. Right. and And you know exactly what I'm talking about. The chaplains are doing the dirty work of the chain of command and saying, well, you don't really need a religious exemption when you got people there saying, excuse me, I heard there's abortion involved in some of this research. I don't want to do anything that supports abortion because yeah, by the way, if I'm a Christian, that is something that's pretty big in terms of religion with me. Um, And yet the chaplain is saying, well, you know, don't worry about it. Those babies, ah, that's not that big of a deal. It's, It's insane. It's completely backwards.
1: Jack Posobiec, thank you so much, my man. Jesse, always a pleasure, my friend. Dude is always a wealth of knowledge. All right, we'll be back.
4: She's back.
1: The author of The War on Small Business, which you should have already purchased and read if you really want to understand the game that's happening out there right now. Joining me now to talk about that and other things, Carol Roth. Carol, we're doing a big rewind show on our special tonight because I think it's important as people yell about gas prices now and inflation now and how did this happen? I think it's important people genuinely understand how it happened because some of us, one of the ladies happens to be wearing red right now. Some of us were warning all this stuff was coming last year, and we were called monsters. Carol, why is all this uh, why, why is all this economic difficulty happening? Well, this is what happens when you
3: give up your free choice to central planners and allow them to pick winners and losers and decide who is essential and who is non-essential, who can work, what you need to work, whether or not there's freedom in making the choices that uh, we all should have and, and hold dear as basic rights. When you move that away, from freedom and choice to the purview of a few, not only are you going to get bad outcomes, but you're going to get outcomes that benefit anybody who is in the club, who is well-connected, who has that, that political clout. And it's going to take away the economic freedom from the average American and unfortunately that's the position we're in and we as you know, individuals are very much to blame because when this started not enough people did stand up and say forget it this isn't going to happen and so when you give up that power and you give up your fundamental inherent rights this is what central planning and the power hungry politicians are going to do
1: every single time and and carol you're right it is our fault now not obviously your fault personally but as a people it is our fault because even to this day the american people the majority more than 50 percent are thrilled with lockdowns they're thrilled with mandates they're thrilled with (laughs) government dictates they want these things Yet they do go to the gas pump and complain, Carol. Why the disconnect? I I see people who I know personally spent the last year, year and a half pitching lockdowns and go home and hide. And now other people saying, hey, bread went up. When did this happen? And they seriously do not realize they're responsible. Carol, why do they not realize this?
3: I mean, this is Stockholm Syndrome, California style. I mean, look what happened in the California recall election, where you had a governor who killed small businesses who uh, put in place mandates that he didn't follow himself that gave benefits to the big companies to do different things, uh, hurt their economy, helped to create the inflation in the state. and At the same time, they had an opportunity to go in and recall him, and people didn't even show up at the polls. So there is this inherent disconnect as we have given up individually our power and our rights to the government. People are not making those connections that if the government has created the problem, the solution is not more government. And obviously that's very deeply entwined in terms of the education system, in terms of the lack of economic and financial literacy, the lack of civic literacy, that frankly is all intentional. <laughs> Intentionally, the people who benefit, the, these central planners, these politicians, they don't want you to have this literacy. They want to be able to come out and say ridiculous things like, oh, we need to tax the rich more instead of saying, well, we actually just need to get out of the way more because that doesn't benefit them. And because we have this Stockholm Syndrome, too many people are going along with that.
1: Carol, when did the education system stop working at all? Because I know people are going to be shocked by this, but I actually don't have a really fancy formal education in my background. It was really pretty run-of-the-mill public schools in my grades, weren't that great and yet i still had business classes we even had a a little shop in our high school that you had to go run you had to go be the manager of it where we sold candy bars and sodas and you learned about profits and losses and i mean this is and i was not in some fancy ivy league school carol (laughs) why are other people not getting this education
3: so I'll tell you we had the same thing. We had an intro to business class and our teacher who was amazing taught us the best lesson. If you had to go, let's say you forgot your pencil, uh, he made you like pay a dollar to go do that and it went into this company f- or this classroom fund to give you a party at the end of the year and every year that would magically get stolen uh, before <laughs> the party happened. So if that wasn't a great lesson on what, you know, power <laughs> dynamics should teach you, it was the best lesson ever. But unfortunately, we've seen, you know, it's kind of like the snowball where it starts very slowly and then it really picks up steam. And we've seen this as we get bigger government and bigger special interests aligned and they take over more um, of the schooling and they care more about themselves than the students, the extra money, the extra dollars, the extra focus, doesn't go into actually benefiting the students. It goes into benefiting the unions. And so what maybe um, you know, was really great thing probably before our time that was a pretty decent thing during our time just gets continually eroded. And this is the problem when you have centralized power versus decentralization. And that, that is our Sesame Street word of the day, the year, the decade is decentralization because it is that barrier to this collective power that ends up making decisions that benefit the few at the expense of the many, although they always sell it in the opposite way.
1: Carol, obviously, you quite literally wrote the book on small business <laughs> with your war on small business thing. And, and I view because I agree with you. Obviously, we want the economy extremely decentralized. I feel like the small businesses we spent the last two years slaughtering, were the key to having a decentralized economy, and maybe the slaughtering of that key was intentional. Am I being tinfoil on your head guy?
3: Yeah, I mean, whether, and this is like a choose-your-own-adventure book. You can decide that they're either intentional, that intentionally trying to destroy them or they're just not politically expedient, but you get the same outcome regardless of what the intentions are. And so I care more about the outcomes than the, intention, the intentions. Small business is the roadblock to this consolidated power of big government, big business, and big special interests. And that's why those three entities don't particularly like small business business and whether it's intentionally destroying them or just making it really hard for them to succeed, uh, you know, they they want to put up those barriers and we're seeing every single piece of legislation, every sort of social justice uh, maneuver that's out there, which should be theoretically helping the little guy creating these opportunities for economic freedom. The small business always ends up bearing the brunt of what is put out as, hey, we're going to to stick it to the big guys. And this is again a ruse that people fall for over and over again. And we as individuals, the best thing we can do uh, on a day-to-day basis is vote with our dollars and support these small decentralized businesses that do create that barrier to power and create those wealth opportunities for average Americans.
1: Carol, I think $15 an hour minimum wage is really the next frontier. I know some places have already passed it. I have no doubt this is something that will become federal law at some point in this completely lost country. For those who don't know, I don't want to talk down anybody, anybody, for those who don't know, and they think that sounds like a great idea, it'll just help out the, the poor lady cooking fries. Would you please elaborate why the minimum wage should actually be zero? But that's another story entirely.
3: <laughs> I mean, I think you're being cheap, Jesse. Why are you saying $15 minimum? I mean, like, let's go for a cool hundred. I mean, a million dollars. We'll have a billion dollar minimum wage. Um, again, this is where great intentions turn into bad economic policy when you don't understand how things are connected. The reason the minimum wage was put in place back in the early 1900s, it was first done in Canada and then in the United States, was to keep immigrants and minority workers and then women out of the workforce. And while Jesse, you may agree with the women, the idea of keeping <laughs> people out of the workforce is not a great thing to do. And so this was a, a racist and sexist endeavor, it has the same impact today because it it makes it harder to hire that first employee. And if you're a business and you have to pay that much money, you're either going to say, well, I'm going to find technology to replace them or I'm going to find somebody who's more qualified and have them do a bigger job. And so it creates fewer jobs. It gets fewer people into the game and then puts them on the path to go to the next level. People think that the minimum wage is like, an average wage or a maximum wage or an only wage it's just the wage to like walk through the door we shouldn't even call it a minimum wage we should just say it's an unskilled wage, is the get in the game wage. And that's what we want. We want more people to get in the game because if they don't get in the game, you know where they go. They go onto the government dole and then the government has more power and then they say, well, we need to take more money and give them universal basic income and help support them with this barrier that they have created in the market. And we know this doesn't work. We know that that free choice has brought prosperity to the world every single time it's been tried. So the fact that we keep doing these things to move us away from freedom and choice and putting up these barriers to wealth creation should just be a huge wake up call to everyone. And I understand not everybody understands economics, but. Read The War on Small Business. Read Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. Uh, Go watch Milton Friedman videos on YouTube. There are different ways this information can be communicated to you, but don't let that good intention that you have, that you want to help people, actually have it hurt people.
1: Carol Roth, everybody. The book is The War on Small Business. Thank you, Carol. You're the best. Well, I'm the best, but you are too.
3: I'm the second best.
1: Thanks, Carol. all right i'll be back Well joining me now is a guy who's been on the show quite a bit. He's on my radio show quite a bit. One of the one of the sharper minds out there for what's happening, where we are, where we're going. Dave Reboy. I would highly recommend his Substack by the way if you're looking for fresh thoughtful material every day. Dave, uh, I hate I hate doing the thing where I look at America and say I'm disappointed in you. And it feels kind of judgmental, I don't know, but Dave, I really genuinely am. The truth is I thought America would push back on lockdowns and COVID madness day one, because we're America, land of the free, baby. No, Dave, America loves these.
5: Yeah, we've been talking about this for a couple of years now. I mean, since all this nonsense started. And, uh, you know, as, as as we've said many times, we thought this would all come to an end pretty quick. I mean, how how do you possibly shut down the US economy? How do you possibly force people into masks and, and you know, and, and vaccines over a long period of time without anybody revolting, without, you know, anybody really caring? People are like, okay, you know, I can just stay home. I can, um, you know, I get my direct deposit. Um, I can sit and watch Netflix for, you know, for, for, for on my free time. I can get, uh, you know, Uber Eats or Grubhub to deliver me food and, um, you know, and then we're good to go. And it translates now Damn. into it translates now into you know the bizarre spectacles we see all the time now. We we saw you know last night at the at the absurd Met Gala where you've got a bunch of people with no masks, but all the help is 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 uh, you know is is required to to wear a mask um, you know at all times. And um, you know I mean what that does is I mean talk about an elitist thing, you know talking about. Talk about creating nonsense barriers between people, you know, obviously not based on any medical science whatsoever. But, uh, but here we are, and, and the people are just fine with it.
1: They are fine with it. Dave, they're cheering it on. I, I mean, I, when, when Biden handed out his mandate, his famous mandate to the businesses, obviously I lost my mind, you lost your mind. Ridiculous, tyrannical, doesn't have the authority. Even if he did have the authority, it's not the right thing to do. Lost my mind. But Dave, we have multiple polls now. It's not like it's one, and I know everyone just yells about how the polls lie, but multiple polls now showing this is 60% of America. 60% of America thinks they're outstanding. Dave, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm the minority now. I don't recognize my countrymen.
5: Yeah, look, I mean, I feel the same way. I think um, as, as we've been speaking about again for many, many years, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's one direction that all this is going in, and and when we, we when we talk about things like national divorce, it's not like we're, you know, it's not like we woke up one morning and said, you know what, I think, you know, I think this car is working. I'm going to dismantle it right now. Um, it's a when we say it, it's a recognition that things are not working. The thing that that we're actually splitting off, and and we have split off. You know, I mean, we have to recognize that we have split off into two very very different, opposite directions, and um, I mean you know, to, to go back to my example, when I go to a restaurant today and, and I am approached by a waiter or a waitress with a mask on and they read me the specials, I say to them, you're not going to read me the special until you take off your mask. Just that much courtesy. But people, you know, today, when they're, you know, when they, when they go into these places, um, they, they they just don't care. They don't care that there's that dividing line between the help and everyone else. You know, it's, it's a... Uh, it's a fine situation for them to be in and um you know i do think that that regionally there are differences between places like florida and texas and uh you know and, and in in blue states i mean you see you know new yorkers are not complaining about the uh the the vaccine uh passports in new york city which is bonkers it's something that i wouldn't understand i mean i you know i lived in texas i live in florida now there's no way that stuff would fly here.
1: No, it wouldn't, and that's what floors me about it, Dave. I mean, they they have they have to show a passport on their phone, or you're not allowed to come in and dine with others. You're not allowed to go in and see a concert. You're not, and and Americans. I, don't, I know they're big city liberals, but Americans just said, "Oh, okay." And I see, sure. Dave, I see people on the right cheering it on. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, I kind of enjoy it. Oh, it's not a big deal. Is the right. When it comes to the right, are they weak? Are they stupid? Are they just cowardly? How can the right think that we have a vaccinated versus unvaccinated battle right now instead of tyranny and oppression? I think
5: they're all of the above. I think they're weak. I think they're stupid. But um, the the way that that manifests itself sort of most troublingly is when they they have a tendency to completely accept Whatever mainstream narrative and fact pattern comes or comes out of the mainstream media, if they're talking about, you know, and they don't even necessarily have to take every single fact as true, but if the media starts talking about, hey, this thing is the, you know, the, this this thing is the scariest uh, virus that's ever come down the line and it's going to kill millions of people, um, a lot of conservatives, especially you know what we call the very online conservatives who work in conservative media you know, who get paid to give their opinions, which is, a, you know, almost a kind of scandalous thing, um, they are following the herd of the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and ABC News and, and you know, down the line. So they're living in a world that is created by, um, you know, by by folks who are actually the enemies of freedom. And once you accept the fundamental premises and the, the, the narrative and fact patterns, um, you know, you're left with the situation where you go, well, you know, you know, where you're, where you're sensitive to the slippery slope, where it's like, okay, well, I'll accept a little bit of, um, you know, a, a little diminishment of my liberty because, you know, this virus is so scary and it's gonna kill millions of people and blah, blah, blah. It's the least I can do. You know, pretty soon, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine paces down. Um, you're talking about serious violations and infringements on your liberty. And um, again, I mean, I'm with you. I didn't think we would get here, but this has been the most sobering thing in the world to watch.
1: It has been, but I'm so glad you put it that way. It has been the most sobering thing on the world to watch. It has been the most revealing moment of my lifetime. And I just don't know how to quite process it, except for I don't want to be doom and gloom about it, right? But it does not feel like federally this thing is even close to salvageable it seems like everything just must focus on local now that's all we have all we have is florida you know all we have is texas or, or or pick alabama pick your state it doesn't seem like there's anything beyond that that is salvageable am i am i out of line there
5: i don't think so i mean i thought so for i've thought so for a long time i mean you know you've got you've got several things going on at once that that make the federal situation kind of untenable um, and um, uh, the big one is just the growth of the administrative state over the last century you know I mean, this has been the progressive project the progressive project specifically is um, is in order to to uh, to remove power from local authorities and give it to you know quote-unquote experts who work for the civil service in DC and and increasingly that's where the most consequential decisions are made you know why is AOC and and Ilhan Omar and 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 some of these other members of Congress? You know why aren't they legislators in the old sense? I mean, these people are social media stars. Well, they're social media stars only because they have nothing else to do. There's no other job description at this point. Um, you know, to be a member of Congress than to be a social media star. Um, you know, you're not. Um, you know, all you're doing at most what you're doing is you're voting up and down on continuing budget resolutions. Where the budgets are defined by the agencies themselves, uh, you know, asking for more money—it's a self-licking ice cream cone. And as you said, the only solution is local.
1: Which one of those two do you think is hotter, Omar or AOC? I think AOC.
5: She's got—I—I—I've always had a kind of AOC thing.
1: Okay. Okay. You know? That's fair. Dave Reboy. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> Thank you, what, Dave. Go check thing? out his Substack. Where can people find your Substack, Dave? Uh, you could go, you, uh, first start by from,
5: from Twitter. So Dave Reboy on Twitter.
1: Okay. Dave Reboy. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. All right. We'll be back. <laughs> 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 It's important to look back, not so we can point fingers. It's important to look back so we can learn. We handled this crisis as a nation absolutely terribly. It has brought us to where we are now, divided. Doesn't mean we have to beat ourselves up over it, but it is important to know there's always another crisis coming. Let us resolve to do a bit better the next time. All right
0: phase one trial operation warp speed is this is not about freedom